I know a lot of you probably expected this week's word of the week to involve the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who recently passed away at the age of 87. But just so you know, I will be paying tribute to her, to this icon of justice, but that just will come a little later in today's podcast. Because while I will certainly give a huge nod to her legacy, there is something that I'm just fucking bothered about regarding her remembrance. Again, coming up later in this episode. But for now, let's get to the word of the week, which is fuck shit. Believe it or not, I actually try to avoid using curse words as the word of the week because if I didn't, every damn week, the word of the week would be a cuss word. But in this case, the only word I can think of to describe new legislation that's being proposed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is fuck shit. Now, here are some of the highlights of this new legislation, which is called the Combating Violence, Disorder and Looting and Law Enforcement Protection Act. Wordy as fuck. So if this legislation is adopted, it would prohibit violent or disorderly assemblies. Now, some of you may be thinking that doesn't sound so bad. That sounds like something we should all be against. Okay, well, what's considered a disorderly assembly. Technically, all protests are disorderly assemblies. When the late John Lewis marched peacefully with hundreds of others across the Edmund Pettus Bridge for voting rights, that was a disorderly assembly. Now, according to this proposed law, it would be a third degree felony when seven or more persons are involved in an assembly and cause damage to property or injury to other persons. Now, the way this law reads, this is a very plausible scenario. Let's say that I go to a peaceful protest and while I'm there, the police, as they have done on many occasions in these protests that we've had this year, they start attacking protesters and it becomes a scene then I could be charged with a felony just for being there. But wait, it gets better. It would be a third degree felony to obstruct traffic during an unpermitted protest, demonstration, or violent, or here's that word again, disorderly assembly. As part of this legislation, a driver is not liable for injury or death caused if this driver is fleeing for safety from a mob. Now, let's go back to 2017 when neo-Nazis and racists stormed Charlottesville, Virginia. During that protest, a young woman named Heather Heyer was killed by a racist when he rammed his car into a sea of counter protesters. James Fields was convicted of first degree murder and other charges because he injured dozens of others with his vehicle. But had a law like the one DeSantis is proposing been in place in Virginia when this happened, then James Fields who murdered Heather Heyer would never have been charged or even liable for what happened to her. Everything in this legislation is trash. DeSantis through this legislation also wants to prohibit local governments from slashing the budget for law enforcement. He also wants to terminate the state benefits or make anyone ineligible for employment in state or local government for participating in a violent or keyword disorderly assembly. And there would be no bail or bond until the first appearance in court if charged with a crime related to participating in said violent or disorderly assembly. Remember a few months ago when all those good white folks strapped automatic weapons and AR-15s to their backs and they stormed the Capitol in Michigan because they were upset that the governor of Michigan was actually trying to save their idiotic ass lives? Guns are not permitted on government property. And yet the police didn't touch a hair on their head, did they? Do you think they would have been charged with, quote, disorderly assembly? Come next January, Ron DeSantis and Tennessee Governor Bill Lee, who signed a similar bill into law last month, will likely quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When we observe his birthday, they will speak glowingly about what he stood for, all while supporting the same law and order policies that sought to suppress great freedom fighters like Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis. Oh, the irony. Because here's a fun piece of history that perhaps Ron DeSantis is not aware of or he simply doesn't care about. The entire reason this country was founded is because of a political protest and not a nonviolent one either. In 1770, a street brawl broke out between American colonists and British soldiers. It was called the Boston Massacre. That got the British government to back up a bit. They repealed all taxes except for the tax on tea. The American colonists 
were sick and tired of being sick and tired. So they threw 342 chests of tea into the water. They said, fuck your tea and fuck your taxes. That was called the Boston Tea Party. All of this led to the American Revolutionary War and the United States forming its own nation. Dissension is patriotic as hell. And if not for dissent, this nation never would have broken free of British oppression. But who gets to dissent is in the eye of the beholder. Black dissension or dissension on behalf of black progress isn't considered American. It's too much of a threat to the societal order where equality has been positioned as a threat. And that is why Ron DeSantis is on that fuck shit. Now on to today's show. My guest today has the hottest album in the country. I've had it in heavy rotation since it dropped a few weeks ago because the honesty, the storytelling, the vulnerability, it's all made this project arguably the best hip hop album of the year. But beyond my guest's musical talent, I appreciate him because he's real. He's a real ass dude and he's from a real ass city, which is my city, the city of Detroit. I am pleased to welcome today, Sean Dawn better known as Big Sean, up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered. So um, being that, like you, Sean, I'm from Detroit. So you know I had a special kind of appreciation for the soulful moaning sample. Oh. Oh, Detroit too. Yeah, for sure. People don't know about that. That's like real Detroit. They don't. Yeah, yeah. That's super Detroit. So, and it also, it reminds me, I got married in, in November and um, my husband, who's also from Detroit, he when he it came to take my garter off, that was the song he played with Soulful Mona. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. So you really, you really had a moment to that for real. Oh, yeah, because our DJ was from Detroit. And I have, you know, it was a lot of, lot of our Detroit friends were there. But the, those who weren't, when the JIT contest broke out, they didn't know what the hell was going on. They were like, I've never seen this. Like, what's happening? I was like, just go with it. Y'all, y'all. But yes, we legit broke out with a JIT, a JIT contest. So I was like, that sofa moaning sample, I think it's on body language, right? Like that did something for me. Yeah, for sure. It was, I wanted to like tap into, when I was making a project, it was like, I thought of like a lot of different perspectives and aspects to make it like, you know, to just make it feel complete to me and, I was like, man, thinking of the songs that really had an impact on me, like where I was really growing up and at the school dances and stuff like that. Just like, damn, I remember that soulful moment, like being a part of my life like that. So I just flipped it the best I could. I actually wrote like five different versions of that song. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. And then the last version ended up being the final. Okay. Um, So let's just get into Detroit too. Um, I've given it an extensive and thorough listen, which I would have anyway. It was my pleasure. and it's really, it's amazing. And especially if you're from the city, you feel a connection to it. That's like a little different than maybe somebody who's not from Detroit. Right, right, right. Yeah. So why did you decide to do a, a follow up and do Detroit too? Well, I know that I was actually taking a risk doing that too, because I know a lot of people may not be able to all the way see where I was coming from, especially with some of the music choices and some of the flips and some of the stories, like some people just can't relate to it, but I was hoping that I could bring them into my world. You know what I'm saying? And they would be able to relate it back to their own. So I just, I felt like I was at a point where I always knew I wanted to do a sequel to Detroit. Because to me, that was like one of my favorite projects and it was my biggest mixtape. And, you know, I was going through a lot. I was dealing with a lot personally. So it was like, I was going through crazy depression, crazy like anxiety. You know, I felt like broken inside. You know, I felt like I didn't know what, what was going on and I never experienced these things. I'd always been somebody who knew how to meditate and like get past certain, you know, hardships in my life. But it just seemed like everything was going wrong and I had to like stop everything I was doing and like really focus on myself for the first time in my life. You know, I always like did everything for everybody else, like my family, my mom, put my friends on, you know, I, I would, I'd be the guy that would hardly take care of himself and try and take care of everything else. So it got to a point that where it was overflow, you know, and I took the time, I stopped everything I was doing and started working on myself, started doing therapy, started doing just a lot of things that I didn't know that I absolutely needed, you know, and in the process of that journey of like, which I'm still on, you know, I think you, you got to keep it up. Uh, 
I, you know, I was, I was discovering myself again because I felt like I had lost my passion. You know, I was, I was uninspired and I felt like I, you know, I've been rapping since I was 11 years old. So I've been doing it for 20 years at least. And well, I feel like when you do something for even just 10 years, your passion starts to change. You know, you got to kind of reignite that flame. And that's what I went through. And it, it, it was it was incredible, though. You know, and so I called it Detroit, too, because I felt like I was going back to when I made the Detroit. I was kind of feeling like that, that same hunger, that same passion, but as a new and improved version of myself, you know. So that's why I was like, that's why I really fit to call it that. So you talk and you were very open and candid on this album about um, some of the mental health challenges that you face, as well as you t- you tweeted extensively about it, um, about some of the depression that you went through. Like one of my favorite lyrics is when you say in high school, I learned chemistry and biology and uh, but not how to cope with anxiety. Right. Which is which is real. So what what uh, you mentioned therapy, what all has helped you get through um, some of these struggles, not to suggest that they're necessarily over with, but just at least learn how to cope with them. Yeah. So like, obviously I still experience these things a lot, you know, but I just know, like, I, like you said, I know how to deal with them better, you know, when they come come around, I, f- I realize that I'm in control really of my emotions until I give something else to control of them. You know, can't nobody else control how you feel except you. And one of the things besides meditation uh, and besides taking time for myself and communicating is I just like to take time for myself. And sometimes I go on a walk and it don't take long. You know, I just make sure I have fun. I feel like fun, having fun with whatever you're doing is the biggest and most important ingredient for success. It's like, you got to have fun while you're doing it, you know, because I realize that you get, you get what you give, you know? So if you're giving out love and fun and having a great time and abundance, that's all that's going to come back to you. You know, it's when you taking things way too serious, you stressed out, you, you know, you, you vibrate on a lower, lower frequency. So my advice is to just have fun and, you know, enjoy it because that's, that's when just, you know, the blessings going to come back to you. I feel like. So you, one of the things you tweeted was that you, you were under the impression that by you rapping, you doing what you love, that it was going to bring you the happiness that you really wanted. And then it didn't bring you that happiness necessarily. Um, you, and you just said a moment ago that you started to feel yourself losing your passion. Was there a reason why this was happening? Like, why were you losing your passion for what you did? As far as, uh, you know, losing my passion, I didn't know why that happened. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't figure it out. You know, I still don't know why, but I just know that I, it really made me try a lot of new things, which I think helps too. Like when you try new things, it either brings you back to your passion in a different way or you discover a new passion, you know? And I think that we're meant to do more than one thing in our lives. You know what I mean? Like, and I realized that rapping wasn't necessarily my passion all the way. My passion is to inspire. You know what I'm saying? That, that's what my real passion is. That's when I feel the best. It's like when I give someone inspiration, you know, because that's something that money can't buy. You know what I mean? I love rapping, though, too. You know, it is a passion of mine, but I feel like my number one goal is to inspire, you know. And then when I really realize, OK, I'm able to do that through my music, you know what I mean? I really started thinking of things and expanding my mind. and um. You know, it made me not only return to my passion, it made me realize that, like, what my real passion, what my real calling is. And I feel like I'm walking on my path. You know what I'm saying? Did you ever think about maybe giving up rapping? Absolutely. I for sure was thinking about it, you know, because I was so frustrated sometimes trying to make some of these this music in the beginning of me making an album. And it was like such a hard process. And every day just seemed hard. And I was like, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. But then I just realized that I just wasn't doing it out of passion. I was doing it because people were telling me I need to do it. People, you know, you got to stay hot. Was taking so long. I was doing it for all the right reasons. I wasn't doing it to have fun and to inspire and to like, you know, give something to lift some people up, give people motivation. I feel like we need that right now, you know, more than ever. So. Well, one of my, um, it's a lot of favorite tracks I have, but definitely um, Deep Reverence is, a, I think, a really special song 
You have a Nipsey verse that's on there. Um, how did this song come together? You know, I've known Nipsey since 2008. So I met him at like Howard Homecoming. We both were performing there. Then we stayed in contact. And then, well, we got selected for the XXL Freshman 10 shoot back in 2010. And we saw each other there. So it was like, you know, oh, man. And I remember we went to the studio that night after the photo shoot, uh, me, Nip, and Wiz. You know, so we have been cool since then and just kept in contact. Uh, so a lot of on and off, you know, like we weren't best of friends. I didn't see him all the time, but he would reach out to me. I reach out to him. It was always love. He really appreciated the relationship I had with my mom a lot. He told me that a few times. I remember he, I did a song about my mom a long time ago that leaked and they were playing it on Power 106. And he called me and was like, yo, this song about your mom is crazy. I love it, man. It's, the music is sounding good. And um, so me and him were sending a whole bunch of ideas back and forth. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from Nip because it, it really taught me that time is not to be taken advantage of. You know, things aren't to wait around. And I remember we were sending each other songs back and forth. And uh, I ran into Hit Boy when I was with Nipsey, actually. And me and Nipsey were talking and then Hey Boy walks up, walks up. This was at a concert backstage. And Hey Boy's like, man, I got something for both of y'all. You know, I got something for y'all. And just to see it come full circle like that. But uh, it was a song that, yeah, was in the works. And then when he passed away, it was kind of like a thing where it was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and finish this off. You know what I mean? And I got the blessing from his family and his friends and like his circle and you know dom and everybody who was in there and a part of all money and i just went hard i just was like i gotta make sure i go off from my brother you know what i mean and and talk that talk because i know that's what that's what he would want me to do and um that's what we had talked about you know so it, it was a it's a beautiful song to me i think it's it's one of it's probably my favorite song on the album and I just really wish that he was here so we could like shoot a video and like turn up, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot that you kind of delve into in this song. Um, one of the things was uh, you talked about how after what happened with Nipsey, it made you call Kendrick Lamar and that there was some kind of misunderstanding between the two of you. Um, what's the backstory on that? What was the, I think in the song you, you talk about how it was egos and all this other stuff, but like, what was the backstory? What's the backstory? I mean, the backstory was just like we was listening to everybody, what everybody was saying and thinking things, you know, were directed towards us when they weren't, you know what I mean? And using old, old things that fuel, fueled those rumors, you know, from years and years ago. It's like, oh, maybe it is like, I don't know. But, you know, once it was once it got communicated, once we were able to talk to each other and realize that we brothers, you know what I'm saying? And that. Hey, we ain't got time. Like, I'm not even talking about me and him situation, but there's no time for any of us to be beefing or arguing or have any issues with each other because we got way more higher uh, threats that are against us right now. You know what I mean? Getting choked out and bullets in our backs and, you know, not being treated equally with justice. And, you know, it's just the, this fight against racism and just you know this country is built on a whole racist foundation so it's just like it was important to at least communicate though that it was all love you know what i'm saying and respect to one another so i'm glad that that got that got handled and it really wasn't like anything big at all though it was just one of those things that you just got it you know you keep putting off you keep putting off and you think that man whenever i see him it's gonna be all love you know it was one of those things but then when Nipsey, when we lost Nipsey, I realized that all those things that you put off like that, even if they're small and minor, you know, I'm sure he wasn't thinking about that at all. And I wasn't thinking about it like that either. But I knew like whenever we see each other, we gonna holler. It's gonna be easy, quick. You know what I mean? Because I know I live my life in positivity. I know he does too, you know. But, you know, it was it was great. And I'm glad that, you know, we we all move forward from that. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a lot that you reveal. And um, I don't know if this was your intention when you wrote this song, but, um, you know, obviously you reveal in this song that you lost 
you lost a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you reveal something? I mean, that's a really personal detail. What made you reveal something that personal? I just, that's how I was feeling. You know, when I was coming up with it, I just was like getting things off of my heart. I feel like that were just on it. And that was one of the things that was on my heart, you know? And I know that, I know people could probably relate to that or feel that. I know it is kind of personal. I don't really hear that in rap music that much, you know, or music in general, but. Yeah, I don't think, I was like, I was trying to think if I've ever recalled anybody revealing that in a song. And I really, I couldn't think of of one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but considering all the other things you were dealing with from a mental health standpoint, like how much was that a big part of that? A major part of it. And I know it's something that a lot of people can relate to, you know. I do believe that, you know, it, it is it is very tough to talk about it, but I do believe, you know, that it, it helps some people get through that. I realize that as an artist, sometimes I have to sacrifice my privacy and sacrifice my you know, the things I've gone through to inspire, you know, and hopefully help people find some something to relate to and to help them get through their stuff. So that that's all, that's really why I was I mentioned it and why I was feeling it. Um, you know, it's obvious like you're in a different place from when the, the first Detroit album came out or mixtape came out and where you are now with Detroit, too. Um, considering all the growth, what are you most proud of about how you've grown since that mixtape to where to Detroit to proud that I just, I'm just proud that um, I'm proud and appreciative of the like fans and people who stuck by me. And I even say that in deep reverence, like they stuck with me like good barbers, you know? So I appreciate that. And I'm just proud to proud that I listen to myself you know, because when I become an old man and I have kids and grandkids, I, I want them to I want to look back and be proud and be like, OK, I did my part at, the, at that time of my life. You know, I did it for the right reasons. I didn't do it to try and be this or, you know, to be commercial in this way or to, you know, have blah, blah, blah. I did it because it was like it was in my heart. And hopefully that carries on through my family, you know, and. So I'm proud that I was able to listen to myself instead of listening to everybody else who's like, do this right now or don't be doing this. You know, you're making a huge mistake. You know, I've, I've heard all of that, you know, during during this process. And I just stuck with what I wanted to do. Right. Like I felt everybody possible from Detroit, you put on this song, <laughs> right? You know, you got Tigris, Cash Dow, Cash Kid, Payroll, 42, like it just endless names, Eminem, Royce. Uh, you you put the whole city on one song. Um, so what was that process like and what gave you the idea to to put all this huge collection of talent on this one record? My goal wasn't necessarily to put the whole city on. So, I mean, there are some people who like, I didn't get a chance to get on there because I still wanted to make it a listenable song. You know, it's like when there's 16 verses on a song, or like, you know, I thought about 20 people that could have been on it, but it's just kind of like, I don't even think you can listen to that. And I still wanted it to be long enough to where when people pop it in or go to that song, it feels like a very short EP of like Detroit music, like all the flavors of Detroit, you know, and uh, there are a lot of people that, you know, aren't on it that I care about that I think are amazing talents from the city. But um, for for the people who are on it, like, I appreciate them for contributing. And it was fun. You know, I remember I sent, I sent it to Eminem at the last minute just to, like, let him know because I was on the phone with Royce and Royce was like, yo, did you holler at Marshall? And I was like, no, I didn't. I Because I didn't think I didn't think he would want to do it, you know, like, I, I mean, I know that's like his, that's his bag, you know, the Eminem, you think about Eminem, he's like the cypher battle rap, you know what I mean? But I just also know that like, he is like so far in GOAT status, you know, and I was like putting some artists that people may have never even heard of on the song, you know, outside of Detroit. And you know, because I wanted to give them an opportunity and a platform too, you know? And, uh, but then yeah, Eminem heard it and he was like, oh, I'm about to get on it. So that's when I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be something crazy. And he got on it and did his thing. And, you know, it was a fun time. It was just, it was just fun, man. I'm just happy that I've never heard a rap song like that ever. I've never heard a song where the beat changes nine times, eight times. 
And, you know, if it doesn't get boring at all, it like keeps going, you know? Yeah, it's a it's an easy listen. I mean, despite the fact it is like a longer song, but you just want to know like, all right, who coming next? Who coming next? You know? So it's just, it's, it's like really pleasurable um, to listen to. I know people ask, I have probably asked you this a lot, but what, um, how would you describe the style of Detroit hip hop? You know, I know it when I hear it, but I'm not always sure how to articulate it. How would you describe it? Well, there are so many styles, you know, I just feel like even styles of Detroit music, you know, from Detroit Rock City to Motown to um, think about like Jay Dilla and Slum Village, you know, and then you think of like Eminem and Royce and like then myself. I feel like we all are, you know, it's funny because unique. I feel like I mean, Detroit is so unique that I feel like the sound of Detroit is just authenticity. It's like you feel the authenticity when you hear it, you know, there's so many varieties. It doesn't sound like one thing. It doesn't sound like, you know, there are all different levels, you know, because one thing you're going to hear is like soul and truth, though, I feel like from all Detroit artists, because that's like we got those deep rooted connections to our ancestors coming from that city, you know, and we like have a responsibility. It just seems like to just like spit our hearts, you know? So I feel like that's what you get when you hear Detroit or people from Detroit. Yeah. It, I think you, you nailed the word is authenticity. It's like, you guys are all different sounding. You don't have the same style, but like, yet when I hear you, it's like, Oh no, that's Detroit. Right. So it's just, I didn't have like a, a way of necessarily articulating what that sound like. We know what the West coast sounds like. We know what the South sounds like. Detroit has different thing. Yeah, and they all them places are like, they all have their thing, you know, East Coast, West Coast, down South, you know, but it's just, it's, it's definitely something about Detroit. So that's, you know, one of the things I was talking to my homie about, I was like, man, I can't believe I called something Detroit and it like, and it, and people accepted it. I think that's so cool. You know what I mean? It's like, I've really put on and people, people are open to it, man. That's just, it feels good when that happens. So when you go back to Detroit now, is your, are your people all still in the D? Yeah, I got the crib. I bought my mom there. So we we be going back to her. So we live there and we live here uh, in the house in L.A. too. So it's like back and forth. So how does the city feel to you now? Because it's changed so much. And there's a part of me, this is the part I struggle with. And I, I'd love to hear your perspective to see if, if um, what you think of it. But I love the progress, but yet it pisses me off at the same time too, right? It's like Detroit, downtown Detroit is is great. Like it's come a long way. Got a Lululemon down there. Gentrification a little bit, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot of it going on and it, it kind of pisses me off when I see it. Like you go to restaurants in Detroit, sometimes you might be the only black person in there. I know. And it was crazy because Detroit is like the blackest city statistically in America by volume, at least by like the amount of black people that are there. So, yeah, I feel you, though. And I do feel like the Detroit is going through a renaissance period where it's like the phoenix rising from the ashes and things are starting to become new. But, yeah, I feel you. It's like we got to make sure we there, too, you know, like. So it, do, it does feel different, but at the same time, it's like, I do feel, I do feel more of upliftment now than I did when I was growing up. Like when I, when I was super young there, I do, it felt a little dark, a little like gray, you know, like it was a dark cloud over the city. Now I feel like the sun is shining on us and it's not all the way right, but I feel like it's moving in the right direction and it's up to us to you know, like we always do in Detroit to figure out how to be implemented and communicate and like make sure we are part of everything, you know, and be active, be proactive, because that's the only way thinking ahead is the only way that we'll be on top of everything, you know? Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I mean, it's, it's, I love that the, the perception of the city has changed so much. Like, like you, when I was growing up, people thought literally all the worst things of Detroit. Like we were only on TV from a national TV standpoint. The only time we were on TV is when the murder rate came out and when in Devil's Night. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And when we went bankrupt. And when we went bankrupt, right. And then people started clowning us because the how the home values had had 
you know, really sunk very low. And so mm-hmm. it's like, it's always something bad. So whenever, um, now I see, you know, especially we went through that period where people were filming movies in Detroit or like now they're like TV shows set in Detroit. I'm like, this is really, it's like a cool place to be for a lot of people. Yeah. Some of my friends, one of my best friends is working on a, some TV show set in Detroit. So it is, I feel like the city is like on the way up for real. You know what I mean? And, on top of that, the lead poisoning situation too. I mean, mainly in Flint, but I mean, my mom, my mom got lead poisoning, you know, from Detroit. So that was a real hard, hard thing she had to go through. That was, you know, very life threatening too. At the same time, and luckily she was able, she's able to treat it properly and you know get the proper care. But she also has a son that you know is a rapper who can afford to help her do that. So it's like. You know, one of the things that my foundation did was to like give people and provide people with the support to go get the right help they need, you know, to deal with that because this wasn't their fault, you know, that they have this lead poisoning and that could lead to a lot of brain damage, a lot of just like autoimmune. I mean, lead poisoning is an autoimmune disease, you know, so it's just crazy, man. But yeah, that's that's another aspect. Well, I'm glad your mom has recovered. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, envir- environmental racism is real. And, um, you know, I, it bears reminding the people is like Flint still does not have clean water. And there are parts of Detroit where that is the case a- as well. So mm-hmm. put all these issues into focus. That's one we definitely can't lose sight of. Um, I had a few more questions I want to ask you. We're going to take a quick break because I definitely want to ask you um, about your foundation because uh, you're you are doing some amazing work amazing things you're doing for the city and and about how you got Dave Chappelle and Erica Badu and Stevie Wonder on this album to, to talk about the city so uh, I'll ask you a few of those questions um, and some Detroit Center stuff so we'll take a quick break and more with Big Sean when we come back Uh, as I mentioned before the break, you got Dave Chappelle, Erica Badu, and Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. on Detroit too. But crazy, yeah, which is crazy, right? To get the, those people. But what I appreciated is that you had them talk about their experiences in Detroit. Now, Stevie Wonder, we know is from Detroit, so that makes perfect sense. But uh, I actually asked you this first about Stevie. Like, I, I think I saw a p- picture of you guys in studio together. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so what was that like? <laughs> I'm, I'm from one of those households where Stevie Wonder got played all the time and got all the respect. You know, to me, he's the greatest singer, songwriter, artist of all time, you know. So he called me randomly one morning out of my sleep. Never, I, ta- I met him one other time in my life, like in passing. And he was like, hey, this is Stevie Wonder. And I thought I was dreaming. I talked to him and he was like, yo, Detroit is going through COVID so badly right now. I wonder how we can team up together and help the city out. And, you know, we ended up doing some stuff behind the scenes to, you know, just through our foundations and charity and whatnot. But he asked me what I was working on. And I told him I was working on this album called Detroit, too. And I was explaining it to him. He was like, oh, man, we got to link up in the studio. You got to come to my studio. So. Time, a little time had went by and I was literally turning my album in like in the next couple of days. And I finally got a chance to, I mean, not I got a chance. He finally hit me up and was like, come to the studio. So I went to the studio and he was like, man, I love to do a story for you, you know, but uh, I want to hear some of the music first. And I was like, okay, for sure. So I played in my album and he was like clapping and like being like, man, this is a great work like you know he was very proud and to me that was like one of the biggest moments of my life you know he heard that song guard your heart with me anderson pack and wiley and he was just like oh my god you know he's like this is what i'm talking about you know and um he was like man i want to i want to do music i want to make but like let's make some music together which that's a dream come true you know and i was thinking about pushing my album back more even though i'd already announced it and like you know trying to rush uh collaboration with him as well or like put him on one of the songs but then I was like man this is something I can't rush this is something I gotta take my time with you know this is like probably some of the most important music I could you know think of in my life so I was like we you know hopefully we do we are in the process of you know putting some ideas together so hopefully that works out 
but uh, he 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 delivered such an amazing story and put his energy on this album, and I, I you know I'm so thankful for that. Um, so you also, uh, as I mentioned, have stories from Dave Chappelle and Erica Badu. Uh, what made you choose them? How did they, how did this come about? Them telling stories about Detroit. So with Dave Chappelle, it was like my dad went to his show in Detroit that he he didn't have a good show, and um, my dad called me and was like, "Yo, I just was with Dave Chappelle." You know, he was like, man, I was like, he was really, he was really like, he really, he really had respect for me, man. He listens to your music. He really loves your albums. And I was like, oh, damn tight. And then he was like, yeah, I was talking to him. I was kicking it with him in his dressing room. And sometimes I feel like my dad can over-exaggerate things a little bit. So I'm on the phone with him like, uh-huh, yeah, 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 cool, okay. And then a few months pass and I'm getting off of a plane and I see Dave Chappelle and he's getting on a plane. And I'm like, oh, man, it's, you know, Dave Chappelle, one of my idols. I'm like, you know, I'm walking up to or he's walking up to me. And he's like, yo, man, I love your dad, man. He shakes my hand. I'm like, what? <laughs> he was like, I love your music, too, man. I love, you know, everything you're doing. But I love your dad, man. He's a cool guy. And right then I, I like, you know, he told me the whole story. And then, you know, I told him what I was working on. And Dave was like, man, not only will I do that for you, but whatever you have else you have going on, like I'm here to support you. You know, we gotta have each other's back. So I appreciate him for being so so down to earth, you know, and still such a such a goat. So you got validated. And what about uh Erica Badu? So Erica Badu, obviously I'm a huge fan of Erica Badu. I didn't know her at all. And I reached out to her and just explained to her my album and like, you know, paying respect to Detroit. I know she did a lot of work with Jay Dilla. You know what I mean? Like some of the work that her and Jay Dilla did is like some of my favorite music she's ever done. And she uh, she uh, was down, you know, she she was she was with it and she told an amazing, amazing story and skit, you know, and she's just like so cool, man. She's like one of the coolest, you know. Um, I know, you know, you've obviously put out a lot of music and it's always unfair to ask an artist to rank where something is in their collection. I get it. But it sounds like you just went through so much with this one. Um, where do you put this compared to some of your other work? You know, where in terms of your enjoyment of the project, in terms of how it came together, what you produced, like where would you where would you place this among your work? I would say number one, but that's just how I'm feeling right now. You know, <laughs> I think I can probably even more accurately answer that like in some years from now but right now i think it's my best work i've ever done you know i think that all my albums have been different though you know they've all have been i feel like i decided it was different dark sky paradise detroit the mixtape like they all my first album like all of them were just all different you know i was in different stages of my life going through different things and had different perspectives on things you know so but yeah, for me, Detroit 2 is like my number one right now. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I, you know, really, I, I was thinking about this, especially in listening to this album, like really your nickname should be Switzerland because <laughs> <laughs> you have, it's, I, I find it very interesting that how you're able to have friendships with people who don't necessarily like each other. And I was thinking of this, of, of you, the fact that you're cool with like, you're cool with Pusha T and Drake, correct? Right, right. Right. So how do you manage that when you have, you know, people that don't necessarily get along, but you get along with both of them? Like, how do you balance and maintain those kind of maintain that neutralness, I guess? I mean, for me, it's just like, look, we ain't none of us got time to be beefing with each other, period. Like we, it's time for us to all, all come together. So that's my mentality. One, two, I know that. All sometimes takes to fix things is a conversation and for people to understand where they're coming from, you know, and there is a now there is a level of like, you know, when it's like has to do with your mom. Right. Or like stuff like that. But to me, you know, rap be for people who, you know, people will be hating each other and then they they cool a minute later. You know, I've seen it happen. 10,000 times. And that's, that's not downplaying that situation at all, but you know, that's, that is truthfully between them, you know, they're grown men. Yeah. Well, we saw Drake and Mill, Meek Mill, right? Like right. there was something there. Then now they making dope songs together. Like it's, it's, it's all good. Yeah. 
you know, it just goes, it's just like, it's just what happens. You know, we human beings, we're not computers. So, you know, we are going to have conflicts with each other that I think can be resolved, you know, if that's what, if that's what people want. Now, another, uh, maybe not necessarily for you, but like sort of a bit of an awkward situation considering how the culture now looks at him. You know, obviously Kanye is, is, is got his, he worked with you with this on this particular album. The culture is looking at Kanye side eye a little bit like, bro, what are you on right now? Mm. So for you, how are you able to, do you separate the two? Is that something you even broach into? Like how do, how do you maintain that obviously very fruitful working relationship knowing that there are a lot of your fans look at him like, we don't know what's up with this guy. <laughs> I mean, for me, he gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. You know, he changed my life and, you know, really, really gave me a chance to prove myself. So for that alone, like, I'm going to always have respect and love for him. You know what I'm saying? So that's just where I'm at with it. It's just like, you know, he, he's, a, he's a special guy. He's an individual who's like, you know, talented beyond belief. So, you know, that's kind of the, that's what I focus on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, with, uh, now that you've gotten this, you know, uh, project complete and it's out and, you know, at least from what I can tell, like a lot of people really love it. When you think about kind of how you want this next part of your career to go, mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things that you feel like you want to accomplish? They don't necessarily have to be music related, but like, what do you feel like is left on the table for you to, to do? Hmm. I mean, honestly, I've been able to collaborate with every artist that I've ever grown up respecting or, you know, and, and not only collaborate, but get respect from them back. You know, that's been a great accomplishment for me and I don't take it for granted. So I think the next part of my career is just focusing on uplifting people, you know, giving them opportunities, putting them in positions that, you know, they could thrive and just having fun, man, just having fun with the music and with the, with the experience of it all, because we never, we don't know, we don't know how long life is going to last. It's been such an unpredictable year that has taught me that you can't count on something always being there. So just have fun with it. You know, how concerned are you about the music industry? Not that it's going away. So I don't mean it like that, but with COVID and with us not knowing when all of this is going to be over, if we'll ever get back to normal, it's going to have a dramatic effect on performing, right? Because like, you know, people can't perform right now. So thus a lot of musicians can't make money. Um, what are your concerns about what this, this virus, how it will maybe permanently impact the music industry? Oh, I believe in it's always going to work out for the best. I always believe that no matter how bad things get, I always keep that mentality and that mindset, like it's always going to work out for the best, even if it's not the way we intended it to, not the way we wanted. If even if it takes us off off our path that we were on, you know, it's probably only to just get to a bigger and better path, you know. So I think that we will, as a music industry, you know, they'll find ways to suffice that. I just really miss that interaction with like that human interaction, like being on stage and like a crowd of people or a venue full of people, you know, like, I feel like that energy exchange is like unmatched, you know, you can't really, can't really get that from anything else. So I pray that it does come back soon safely. And I pray that, uh, you know, I just pray to all the musicians out there, just, you know, I hope they take advantage of this time, you know, now's the time to, keep feeding the people who need it. You know, now more than ever, we need not only artists' music, we need the best music that they can give. We need the best work that you can give people because we need to be uplifted and we need to be like entertained and inspired, you know, so. I think that's why those versus battles have been so popular. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're just a lot of fun. And like, you know, it allows you to go back and remember when we all had a communal experience of music and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly as a fan, I miss being able to like plan on going to a dope concert. It's like, you know, we don't know how this is all um, going to uh, going to shake out. I, I got a few fun questions I'm, I have for you, Sean. But before I get to that, tell me there will be a 
a Friday Night Cypher video. Tell me we're going to do this. Like at some point, we got to, <laughs> we need a video with we this. We got to do a video for the Friday Night Cypher. We got to. So we're working on that. We talking about it. Got to get on that immediately for sure. Cause that's a lot, that's a lot of people. So it's a lot, a lot to organize. So yeah, I know everybody's schedules ain't the same, but like, I need that in my life to see all of y'all, mm -hmm. you know, doing this and, and bringing it visually. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, there's a little game I play with all my guests that I call this or that. I'm going to give you two choices. Got to pick one. Can't weasel out. It is what it is. And yes, they are meant to be tough choices. So okay. <laughs> that is the point. All right. First up, uh, better made barbecue chips or better made hot chips? Better made hot chips. Hot chips. Ooh, that was my favorite too. It used to be barbecue and then I like... I like salt and vinegar the most, but between those hot. Really? Really? Mm -hmm. Salt and vinegar. Okay. All right. That's deep Detroit right there. Mm -hmm. um, Verner's or Fago? Uh, Verner's. Verner's. You're not a Fago guy? I, I am. I love Fago, but I just pick Verner's. I like Verner's too. <laughs> now, do you do the ice cream float with Verner's? I grew up on that. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we all did. Isaiah or Joe Dumars? Isaiah. <laughs> now I'm told you are a, a big you are a big fan of Insecure. Is that correct? Absolutely. All right. So you team Molly or Team Issa? Team Issa. I, I got love for Molly, <laughs> but I'm Team Issa for sure. For sure. I'll be seeing where she's coming from. Okay. They're both they're both wrong, but one is more wrong than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, well, right, right or wrong is just a perspective, but I be feeling, I feel where Issa coming from, though, too, like for real. Obviously, she's the man. She's like, it's like her show, too, you know, so she makes sure that she's taken care of, right? But yeah, I, I gotta go with Issa. <laughs> right. All right. And finally, college dropout or East 1999 Eternal Bone Thugs. Wow. That's a tough one. I probably will go with. Mm, College dropout, I guess, because because of the timing. I I love I love East Eternal 1999, Bone Thugs. That was like I was a little younger, so but I played that album out. That was like the first album that I played out, like knew all the words to. But when College Dropout dropped, I was in ninth or tenth grade, and I remember when I first was like riding to school. That it just, I remember it made me cry one day I was listening to it. That was the first time I ever cried listening to music when I was like listening to the song Last Call on it, where he was like telling his story and like it just made me feel like I could do it. You know, it empowered me. So I got to go with College Dropout. That was a good choice. I mean, they both were like incredibly dope um, albums. I choose to remember that Kanye West. Yeah. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Choose to remember that Kanye. I'll, I'll make that elective choice. Yeah, it's all it's all him though. You know, it's all a part of him. It's just who he is. Well, uh, well, Sean, thank you so much for joining me and taking the time out. Um, and you already know just like how the city holds you down. Like we're all just so proud of you. Um, you know, for a long time we didn't really have that. You know, certainly we had Eminem, and we've had pockets of people representing the city and and really putting on, but. Mm -hmm. It matters how much you love the city, but it also matters that in many ways you never left. You know what I'm saying? And so this is it's a real treat for me to see just how you've grown, just how big you've become. And I know you're going to be even bigger than you already are in the future. So as a fellow Detroiter, man, like I just salute you and am proud of you in so many ways. Oh, man. God bless you. And I'm proud of you in the exact same way. So keep up the great work and, you know, let's keep putting on. Just keep doing it. Yeah, got to put on for the 313. Um, all right, Bushan is getting out of here. I'm sticking around for a final segment. Y'all know what's next. Fuck it, I'm bothered. As I said earlier in this podcast, originally I was going to do a tribute to Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was going to start off the podcast with that because this woman deserves to have her legacy properly put into perspective. But fucking I'm bothered because unfortunately I can't just use this moment to put into context her amazing legacy. I can't talk about just strictly how Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passion for law helped shape this country and what her presence and professionalism meant to millions of women. 
because her death is being used by conservatives to consolidate power and because her death is an example of why the Supreme Court must be depoliticized. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's body wasn't even cold yet when the positioning and the posturing began about what should be done with her vacant seat. Before Ginsburg died, every time any health complication was reported in the media, those on the left would freak the fuck out because they knew that if anything happened to her while Donald Trump was in office, it meant he would get to fill that seat. Meanwhile, those on the right would be practically willing this woman to her own death for the same reason. Because of these two realities, it's robbing us of the chance to appreciate a woman who deserves our utmost gratitude and appreciation. Ruth Bader Ginsburg faithfully served the Supreme Court for nearly 30 years. And if not for her skillfully using the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which guaranteed equal protection under the law for all citizens, if she didn't apply that to gender, a lot of us women wouldn't be in the position that we're in right now. If Joe Biden becomes the president of the United States, one pressing action he needs to take is expanding the Supreme Court so that Supreme Court seats stop becoming tools for political warfare. When Barack Obama was president, he nominated Merrick Garland several months before his term was set to end and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, top five worst human being that's ever been in politics, essentially said that it would be a cold day in hell before he ever brought Obama's pick to confirmation because he didn't want the Democrats to have a seat on the highest court of the land. Of course, now that Ginsburg has died, McConnell and the Senate are about to try to rush someone through confirmation, even though polls show the majority of Americans believe the next president or whoever will be the president for the next four years should get the opportunity to make that decision. Also of note, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's family released a statement in which they said in the statement that her last wish was that the next president or the president for the next four years would get to select her seat. She did not want her seat to be decided during this period before the election. But I have to give it to conservatives. They don't care about looking like hypocrites. They possess no shame and embarrassing them is virtually impossible. So even though several Republican senators publicly stated when Obama was in office that they wouldn't confirm a Supreme Court appointment for a lame duck president, they have gutlessly, though not surprisingly, went against their own word because they can smell an opportunity to seize power. Shout out to spineless ass Lindsey Graham, South Carolina. Hope y'all vote for Jamie Harrison. Anyway, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is now the first woman to ever lie in state at the U.S. Capitol, can't be thanked enough for her dedication to what is right and what is just. The best way all of us can honor her memory is to fight as honorably and as passionately as she did. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent, and Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, executive producer is Erica Clark, and project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. <laughs>